podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to the Who's Place Who cast. This is episode nine of season three. I'm your host, Val Prohaska, and as always, I'm joined by Seattle Who, the Who's Place founder and this show's producer. We're especially pleased to welcome back the most relevant Hokie in sports, Ken Pomeroy. Welcome, Ken. It's good to have you back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So uh, before we get started, Ken, you, you must be pretty happy about the Hokies taking down Villanova the other night. I am. I'm really happy about that. Uh, yeah, I like uh, I like this team. It's uh, it's a little bit of a different feel than last year, I think, when they beat Michigan State. Like, there was always a sense that that was kind of a fluke win. And, I mean, obviously beating Villanova on some level is a fluke win, but it feels like this team could actually – Sneak into the NCAA tournament this year, which uh, would be a nice, nice accomplishment for Mike Young in, in year two. Yeah, I, I like him. I, I like his coaching. I, his, his team had some nice sets and stuff last year. I, I thought they looked like they've got a good foundation, and he's got a couple four-star freshman guards coming in that they're going to help. Um, so. Yeah, I think it helped. helped to, you know, Landers Nolly transferring probably actually helped things. And yes. In aggregate, now they just yes. got a bunch of like, you know, they don't necessarily have any studs on the team, but just kind of a group of like average ACC players who are pretty hungry and there's no like, you know, obvious score or go-to guy. So it's just like kind of, they're kind of like a mini, a mini Villanova where it's a little more team oriented and everybody playing for the team. And so hopefully that'll result in a little bit better season. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can't underrate hunger. I mean, that, that ought to be, you know, one of your fifth categories, you know, I mean, but <laughs> guys that want it, you know, just play harder. And, you know, we, we saw it, you know, as Virginia fans watching us play San Francisco, our guys weren't hungry and we didn't play as hard and we just kind of came out lackluster. You know, that's why you got to play the game well, yeah. and not just look at the paper, you know? The other team also shot out of its mind from three point range. So. Well, sure. Sure. Yeah, though that was like pure four, luck. That they, was that was a very good. They had a good offensive plan that they executed well, and they started getting open shots, and they hit a couple, and they got confidence. They're beating our defense like a drum. So, you know, I think it's it kind of it, it can lead us into one of the topics you know that I wanted to talk with you about tonight, which is your thing that. Um, it's kind of a two thing part thing that go together that great offense beats great defense, but also that there really isn't three point defense. You you can't closing out and all that stuff doesn't really affect the three point conversion percentage as much as the shots that you let them take in like San Francisco, they were getting their shot. They were getting the shots that they wanted. They were getting those good three point shots that come on good action and with space. And, you know, so that's closing out on them didn't really make any difference. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, so Virginia's always been a little bit of the exception to that philosophy in a way. And that, you know, you look at historically a three point percentage defense is pretty good. You know, when they have a great defensive teams, the three point percentage defense is good, but mm-hmm. I mean, I maintain that's more of a, a byproduct of the defense than like having, having anything to do with closing out. Like it's just, you know, right. I think the that, closing out, I think, I think the actual closeout itself, it, it might shave a half a percent off of off of there. But typically teams are when they're shooting threes against Virginia, it's it's not out of their patterns as much as it is 
either one, you know, they've been told the way to beat Virginia is to shoot a lot of threes, so they come out and they just shoot a lot of threes, or it's because they've got nothing else, and so they're just taking a three that's not in, in the rhythm of, of their offense. Yeah, a lot of late clock threes and threes that are, like, well off the three-point line, and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of adds up. Yeah, I, in general, I think, like, the top 100 teams are probably all pretty similar in their ability to to close out. Uh, you know, you might have a freak like Zion Williamson or somebody like that who's yeah. able to close out in such a way that they can bother shots at an above-average level. But I guess the one the one tell for me statistically is when you look at – like block rate on three-pointer by team and the opposing three-point percentage on all the other shots that weren't blocked, mm-hmm. there's, there's no correlation. Like you can't, you can't use block rate on threes to predict opponent three-point percentage on unblocked threes. So it kind of tells me that there's not a lot of effect in terms of closeouts. Like it just gets for, again, for the top 100 teams, maybe for like 95 of those teams, the, you know, your ability to close out is just not really that different from any other team. Mm-hmm. I think where it, where it differs more is how how good that team's defense is at being able to close out from a good position instead of from a bad position, how they anticipate on their closeouts. And I, I think a closeout, I think if a closeout's going to bother a shooter, it has to be early enough and high enough that it, it impacts his ability to get a a good view of the rim. And I think once they have a view of the rim, then the closeout doesn't really matter because most of your shooters today, they're pretty good at maintaining their focus on the rim once they acquire it. And, you know, so a lot of closeouts might look good, but they're really not because the shooter's already locked in. Yeah, I agree. The other problem is that if your closeout is too early, like this is the whole thing is that, you know, then the shot isn't even taken. And, uh, mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, three-point defense is kind of uh, hard to monitor. I mean, that's what, you know, on the flip side, like that's actually what San Francisco does. They are pretty religious at taking away three-point attempts, and they did that successfully against Virginia. I mean, Virginia only got 12 threes off, so that's mm-hmm. kind of their their approach, that they're just going to take away the three and live with everything else. It's a hard defense to pull off because a lot of teams that do that tend to foul a lot and give up a high two-point percentage, but uh, – They've been pretty good at not falling into that trap. Yeah, Virginia was was completely unable to beat them off the dribble. Yeah, and I guess that you know the other thing is like to take away from that game uh, is that San Francisco shot out of his mind and still didn't score a point per possession. You know, <laughs> still, <laughs> still only ended up with sixty one points, barely right. won the game because obviously, like you know, two point on, on two pointers they were really bad as most teams are against Virginia mm-hmm. and uh you know the the roadmap for those teams to beat to beat a team like Virginia is making threes but it just happens so rarely well they should they should teams should watch the video of that game because that that team they did a very good job of getting really good looks and a lot of it like later in the season if they were to play Virginia in February they would get blown out of the gym because these guys will have they will have learned a defense by then. And a lot of the looks that they got, they won't get because the, those mistakes won't be made. The mistakes that were made by, you know, by a lot of the players that resulted in guys being, they were, man, they had guys that were wide open just because 
they got us in rotation and we made just a lot of bad decisions. And so they were, it was like practice. A lot of the shots were like, you know, practice and drills. But, and that's all credit to them. They, it, the game, San Francisco, their game plan and their team and that game reminded me of the UMBC game where you had a team that um, they put five guys out on the floor that could shoot and they could drive and they moved the ball extremely well. And they did a good job of getting Virginia into rotations and moving the ball and finding the open man. Um, and most teams can't pull that off. But yeah, the game flow was similar as well. It was like a, you know, <laughs> a low scoring first half and then they exploded in the second half and obviously they didn't pull away like UMBC did, but right. But found the rhythm in the second half. Yeah. It's and really, I'm just talk, thinking in terms of the, the, the opponent's, the, the character, like the, the characteristics of the opponent and the way they played. They're right. Very similar. And that, yeah. I think that kind of team is, and I think that's kind of what Tony's trying to emulate with his five out offense. He wants, to, he's trying to put in the kind of offense that generally is best at beating the pack line. And maybe that's because yeah. so many ACC teams are starting to move to a pack line. Like you think of Louisville and you know, Chris Mack basically plays a pack line. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely cut on <laughs> mm-hmm. for good reason. So I, I think it was what 2015 or something. You you published that blog that you know great offense beats great defense. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And I, it's been a long time since I've read it. Have you followed up on that with statistically to either get more data or see if it still holds or? I haven't followed up on it. I mean, I, uh, there's no reason for me to believe it. It doesn't still hold, I guess it probably is even, if anything, stronger now. I mean, one thing I did do over the summer, I kind of looked at the four factors and like their correlation to offense and, uh, you know, the correlation for shooting, obviously it's always been strong, but it's strong, you know, stronger now than it was 10 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it was stronger than it was 10 years before that. Like it's just been this steady increase in terms of the influence of shooting in terms of driving offense and mm-hmm. uh i mean i think that's what also drives offense having more control over the outcome of possession than defense is that you know if you have you have five good shooters on the floor like it's just there's going to be so much space on the floor that it's just the defense is forced to make decisions that are not you know they're reacting they're not uh right they're not able to take away they're not able to take away everything you know so uh ultimately uh, you know, it's not that the offense has total control of the possession, but um, they certainly have more control than the defense does. Yeah, and I think um, you know, Virginia fans love the the old mantra: the defense wins championships. And I, I don't happen to agree with that. I think that's a saying that came out of baseball, where it's definitely true, and then migrated to football, where it was it, it, at least through the '70s and '80s in the NFL to a large degree true but it doesn't really work in basketball and I actually I think Virginia's experience kind of validates that because when we had three guys who were future NBA players who can get to the basket and also can hit can just go off can you know can just hit contested shots or just you know go on a tear that's when we won the championship. And actually that team 
wasn't even one of our best defensive teams. And the team that got the closest right. before them, that Malcolm, you know, Malcolm, they had Malcolm Brogdon who put that team on his shoulders time after time. But that was our, I think, our worst defensive team in the last, you know, like eight years. Because I think in a tournament, everybody plays defense. And everybody plays harder. And it's the teams that can still generate offense even against great defense that are going to advance. Yeah, so, you know, what happens is teams also get better at shooting as the year goes on. Like, offenses just get better hmm. in terms of execution and shooting. And, you know, the championship team is actually a really good example on a number of levels. Like, you know, in the regular season, um, the team was was really dominant. Like, you know, people sort of they'll make jokes about my rating sometimes about how I overrate Virginia or whatever. But, you know, you could design any rating you want based on any – you know, criteria and you would have had Virginia as the number one team in the regular season that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once they got into the, once they got into the tournament, uh, their margin for error really was reduced, especially in those last three games. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at, we were talking about three point defense, but in the regular season, they were, I don't know, high twenties maybe in, in three point defense. And then in the tournament opponents shot like 36% against them. They actually shot, I think a little bit above the national average against them. And it wasn't mm-hmm. because like Virginia's defense got worse. It's just because they were facing good teams whose offenses were, you know, the best they had been all year. And um, it's just, there's not a ton of defense can do about that. You know, you got to, to some extent, uh, obviously play good defense, but also um, get a little bit fortunate in terms of the other team, just not, you know, getting on fire from, from long range. Right. And in the national championship game, you've got the two best defenses in the country, and the final score is 85-77. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, you know, obviously an extra period in there. But it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty funny leading up to that game. Everybody was like, you know, oh, this is going to be, you know, such a low-scoring game. And it's like, well, both these teams actually have pretty good offenses, too. And, you know, offense, you know, great offense is usually going to beat great defense. So, I, you know, wouldn't be surprised yeah. if this is pretty entertaining. I'm pretty sure both teams yeah. were were at least in the you know mid to upper 60s at, at the end of regulation. Yeah, yeah, it was like I mean, so, I, it was like 71, I think they beat the, or something you know like the that, or 71, 71 or, the over under in regulation. So, right. Yeah, it was it was an interesting narrative that kind of popped out there. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, you don't get to a national title game without playing great offense. There are exceptions, but uh, for the most part, you can't you can't get there. And by the way, like also. If Tony Bennett wanted to have, like, the best defense in the country two years ago, I think he could have done it. Like, I think if you, like, privately could just get Tony Bennett off the record and talking about this topic we're talking about, like, he would acknowledge, like, you know, in the end, if he could choose, like, a great offense with a very good defense or a great defense with a very good offense, like, he would choose the the first one to win a national title. And I think he kind of gave his – players a little more freedom in, mm-hmm. in 2019 to, to pull that off. Like you can, you know, you can make sacrifices in your offense to improve your defense, but mm-hmm. he chose not to do that because the defense was already really good. And he obviously wanted to let his, you know, his, his guys on offense and talented players make plays. No, I agree with you. And, and I think his father has, has kind of said that in interviews. Um, and I think he had an experience in the, I think the the uh, UMBC experience led Tony to be a little bit freer in terms of sacrificing defense for offense. 
Because you know that that coaching staff they went through a a complete introspection after that, and they went back and they looked at everything. And Tony definitely, for one thing, he put in that continuity ball screen offense. You know, Tony's offense never featured very many ball screens now and then, but but you know he put in that that offense to take advantage of the ball screens, and it it had a big effect. And he's done some other things that where there's no other way to say it than that he was giving up a little bit of defense in order to get offense. Um, I mean, there's only so much he's going to do, but yeah, no, I agree. I don't, it's definitely situational because, you know, last year he didn't have guys who can make plays and right. He, you know, he knows that he can basically take any eight players and like turn them into the best defense in the country. So mm-hmm. he chose to go that route and, uh, and probably got you know the most out of that team that a coach could get out of that particular group of players by going with that philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think last year, definitely one of his best coaching jobs. I thought he did a fantastic job. As painful as that team was to watch, sometimes it was you know they <laughs> they won their last eight games and it's in the ACC. Yeah, it was it was pretty painful as a as a non Virginia fan. It was. I don't mind watching them play when they're playing well, but uh, some of those, especially early season games, were, uh, were a little yeah. rough for, yeah, they for were. non-interested fans. Yeah. And just, it was just bad basketball. I like a low-scoring game if yeah. it's two teams. It's just great defense. And, some, and you can tell the difference between great defense and just bad offense. And there was a lot of just bad offense. Like, a, I, you know, I'm looking forward to watching Michigan State and Virginia go at it. Of course, not one of our better defensive teams right now, but, you know, it should be a fun game. But Yeah, well, like I said, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't bury the defense just yet after, after a game where an opponent shot 13 of 28 on threes. Like, the, core, the core fundamentals, statistically, I think, are still – Still there. I know a lot of those threes are open and, and things like that, but oh yeah, come February, the defense will be fine. It's just right now there's he's got a lot of players that are not experienced in the defense, and and they just make a lot of mistakes because a lot of the a lot of the reads are different than they're used to, and and there, there's so much emphasis on rotation and recovery and and everything. It like it just I've gotten a lot more attuned to, to watching it, and spotting it, and. You know, Sam Hauser was just making mistakes constantly. Braxton Key, his first year as a transfer, a talented defender, made a ton of mistakes. And, you know, people were wondering why he was sitting on the bench sometimes. Well, it's because he'd been out of position so many times. And a lot of times you don't notice the guys making mistakes because we had Mamadi Diakite and Jay Huff back there swatting everything away. And um, for a lot of the game against San Francisco, Jay was was back there protecting the rim, which is why their two-point percentage was so bad. But then Jay went to the bench in the second half, and without him there protecting the rim, San Francisco just started getting some layups. And once they got those layups, then they started getting easy threes off of them. Right. You know, but they'll, they will tighten that up. I think it's going to take – I don't think it's going to happen as of – December 9th, which is when we play Michigan State, but I think by the time we play, say, Virginia Tech the first time, which is, I think, January 2nd or whatever, it's going to be a lot better. 
it's going to have to be the way Mike Young's going to scheme. Well, I know I will expect it to be a lot better, so I'm not getting my hopes up. <laughs> the other topic that I'm very curious about because – um, you know, I noticed that Virginia was 42nd in your closing poll or closing, not poll. It's not a poll at all. Ranking of last year and comes in, came in at 16 this year. And I thought maybe you could kind of break out what goes into making your preseason rankings. Uh, so it starts with a, a baseline of what a team has done over the last three seasons. Uh, in my ratings and more weighted towards, you know, the more recent season. And then from there, it looks at who is basically who's returning from the previous season or, you know, coming back from two seasons ago, if they took a red shirt, uh, you know, transfers, basically anybody with previous division one experience, top 100 recruits. Um, that's most of it. There's a, a coaching change penalty that is sort of variable depending on how good a team was the year before. So if the team's really good and they change their coach, they tend to regress more than, you know, a team is bad. You know, a team is bad and changes their coach. It doesn't really affect them. Um, if they replace that coach with someone that has experience, then that actually mitigates some of that penalty a little bit. I would think uh, sometimes a, with, with a bad, when a bad team changes a coach, there's, there's a bit of a bounce. They seem to get a bounce for yeah. a year or two that comes in. I mean, you can certainly like find those cases where a team changes coaches and they immediately get better. Like, you know, I don't know. Like in a normal year, there's maybe, you know, 50 coaching changes or something. And, mm -hmm. you know, you'll find that in 15 of those cases, like the team got better. And in like five of those cases, like they got much better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on average, it, it's a sign of, you know, you should expect the team to get worse, basically, just to, okay. you so know, like just with, to with, lack of continuity. You know, with Virginia, we've had, you know, Jeff Jones, his strongest years were early. Pete Gillen, his strongest years were his first two or three years, and he had that recruiting class, great recruiting class, his first one, and then they degenerated. And then Dave Leto had a, a you know good year or two early, and then they degenerated. And we've seen some of the new coaches that come into the ACC, they seem to come in and maybe get a burst of recruiting at, excitement they bring in a couple of recruits that the previous guys couldn't get and there's a little bit of an improvement there and then you see you know some some of the coaches there like Danny Manning for example I think when he at the beginning they had a bump you know and then obviously he can't coach at least as a head coach at the college you know ACC level but so that's just interesting all right so it is I, I guess I don't know how much trade secret there is but how do you you know kind of quantify each one of these things in, in terms of putting it into a team rating. Yeah. So it looks, uh, the, the system basically looks at, at previous seasons and, you know, just a kind of a massive regression mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, what factors predict the teams. It does the off the separate models for offense and defense, although they are a little, they actually are slightly related, but, um, uh, yeah. So it looks, you know, it looks back at, what breaks the team's offense going forward, what breaks the team's defense. I should mention too that uh, like for returning talent or, or returning players, like it looks at the, the class of the players. So like Virginia Tech actually got a huge bump this year because all the guys they were returning were pretty much freshmen. So if you're returning freshmen, you get more credit for those guys than if you return a 
you know, fifth year senior or whatever. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all in terms of expected improvement. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh I mean, the, the learning curve is obviously steeper for, for younger players. So, um, okay. Yeah. So that's a, a factor as well. And then your, your conference is a factor too. Like there's actually some predictive ability in that. So you, you know, just by knowing, like, even if you're the worst team in the ACC, just by knowing you're in the ACC, like, you know, it's rare for an ACC team to finish the season outside, like, top 150. So even if, right. like, if, if I didn't add this conference adjustment, you know, if you were expected to be outside the top 150, like, just being in the ACC will give you a small a small bump. Okay. So all that right. makes it, like, all the more incredible that the Gonzaga was, was number one in my preseason ratings because, obviously, their, I mean, their conference is fine. It's not, like horrible conference but you know it's the eighth best ninth best conference and you know over the past few years so mm-hmm. they obviously get you know that's kind of an anchor in their rating to some extent right well they you know the last the last three or four years i mean their their talent level has has increased over what it was earlier they're you know they've got some legit top 50 top 30 guys that they get in now, but this fuse got, he's so good at finding these international players. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely his specialty is international recruiting and his assistant Tommy Lloyd is like kind of the, the point man for that kind of stuff. But there's certainly an oddball case where mm-hmm. they're not, uh, they're, they're in a conference, but they're not really, they're not really tied to that conference. You know, they uh, basically strong arm the league into like, you know, reducing the conference schedule to 16 games. And every other conference is like increasing the number of games right. in the conference schedule. And they basically like just held the conference hostage almost, you know, in terms of like possibly bolting the Mountain West and got the conference schedule reduced so that they could have more freedom in their non conference slate to, you know, play hmm. some marquee games or play some, some buy games as well. But, um, right. The, the, well, they need know, the, to the play conference holds probably for. Yeah, the conference assumption probably holds for like 356 teams, but for Gonzaga, even though they're technically in the WCC, they they almost function like a, obviously like a power conference team, but more like an independent. Mm -hmm. How accurate do you you think your preseason ranking is in terms of, you know, how it predicts how good teams are going to be when we get into the meat of the schedule? I mean, it's hard to like, it's hard to, quantify that you know i don't know what like what number would would make sense like the archives are are on my site so people can go back and kind of see you know where teams end up from the preseason Mm -hmm. i'd say it's like similar to the ap poll you know except that it obviously ranks more than 25 teams so so a little bit of an advantage there but uh you know it's pretty good but it whiffs like uh, with some teams, I've seen in the top 10 that don't make the tournament, but it's pretty, pretty rare. You know, I think if you're not ranked, like in the, you look at the teams that end up going to the tournament, like the worst teams to get in that large bid, like there's, you know, two or three teams, maybe outside the top 60 or so that get that large bid. So mm-hmm. the idea is just to get teams in the right neighborhood, you know, so that when they, right. you know, you do start to get real data, like the rankings look pretty normal. Like, you know, right now I have, you know, Gonzaga one, Baylor two, Duke three, uh, Villanova still four. Like, I feel like, I mean, I know I'm just lost, but 
Well, that was good, man. Those feel like they're going to be the four best teams in the country. And, you know, a month from now, they'll be like, we'll know that maybe two of those teams disappointed or something, or maybe they're not the four best teams, but they're like eighth or 11th or something. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, like, it's a pretty intelligent starting point to have some like sensible ratings when very few games are played. Yeah. Yeah. And at at what point, in the season, it is like the preseason stuff out, and it's all just based on this season's data. So this year I made a little bit of a change just because the year is it's kind of – the way the season is set up, it's kind of forced me to do that, but it's actually a good change going forward. Normally it would – all the preseason data would be out by the first week of February, mm-hmm. which I guess, you know, another way to like just kind of do a reality check on the preseason ratings is that if you look at like team's performance um, – you know, up to that point, you know, say mid-January ish, if it's like significantly off from their preseason rating, uh, almost invariably, like the, their performance the rest of the year will like regress back towards the preseason rating, mm-hmm. which is is what you want to see. Like, right? If you have a preseason rating that that's good, like that's how it should be. And so that's why you know you really want to keep that weight in a lot longer than I think people would realize. In fact, you really want to keep it until the end of the season. Um, I don't do that just for transparency. People like to use the preseason rating as an excuse sometimes. You know, the team's not ranked where they think it should be. Well, it's because I'm putting too much weight on the preseason rating. And I think I'm probably underweighting the preseason rating, if anything, once we get mm-hmm. into the middle of the season. But, um, but yeah, normally it would, it would be out by mid-February. Now it's based on games played. So before I used to just peel off, you know, a very small percentage of preseason rating every day. Uh, but now it's based on it's only peeled off after you play a game. So if you, okay, um, I don't know who's like delayed this season. Like I don't know somebody from Colorado State comes to mind. They don't think they played yet, and they only they start playing until like mid December or something. Hmm. Uh, so that first game they play, like the preseason rating will still be very strong for them. Right. Uh, whereas you know the teams that are playing now, if they played seven or eight or nine games by then, you know the preseason rating might have like 60% of the weight for them than it will for Colorado state at that point. So, so anyway, the way I have it set up now is like, it'll take 21 games for a team to play before the preseason rating goes away, which some teams won't play 21 games this year. So there will be a little issue at the end of the year where teams still have that preseason rating weight Mm -hmm. in their rating. But now I think I'm going to bite the ball and and live with that. Why do you, you know, clearly you're, your ranking is less susceptible to outlier to extreme reactions to single games than a subjective poll like the the Goodman top twenty five where a team can <laughs> lose one game and go from number four or six to completely out of the top twenty five while another team can lose go from number four to number sixteen and <laughs> I was like, okay. yeah. Well, yeah. So here's the thing about Goodman, like it's a little inside baseball, but I don't think he mentioned this, but he has, he does have this rule where uh, if you basically, if you have the same like number of losses and you've beaten that team, you have to be ranked ahead of that team. So I don't, like, that's where he, so I guess into, you know, it gets him into trouble. In, it's because it's a stupid a rule. Like this. It is a very stupid rule. I, I could see that for sure. You know, uh, it, yeah, I've see, seen yeah. some of these other rules. Like somebody has a rule where you can't be ranked until you've won a true road game. 
And so he, yeah, that was he Graham Couch. Top 10. Yeah. So he didn't have Duke in his top ten one season until like February because <laughs> they never played a true road game. Yeah, he didn't like, have him in the top twenty-five. Actually, he he refused okay. to rank teams. Yeah, he's it's not like, a voter anymore. So that's, that's well, that's good because that's you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I guess the whole thing with Goodman is like he would have had to, you know. In his own mind, he would have had to have San Francisco ranked ahead of right. Virginia. And so he, you know, he couldn't justify ranking San Francisco like 15th or whatever and Virginia right. 16th. So he had to like not rank Virginia basically to like make that work. So yeah, that's... I was disappointed though. Like Virginia Tech really should be number one. Like there's no more. <laughs> I mean, right now we're recording this before they play South Florida. They could lose that game and, and whatever. But Right now, as we talk, there's no more accomplished team than Virginia Tech. I mean, they beat the 2 and 0. They've beaten the highest strength. They had the best win of any team in the country. Goodman should have put up number one. All right, and, make uh, him number one then. Sure. I, that's what I thought. But and then leave him there. Nine, so. and, and then they need to stay there so that Virginia can come and knock and knock off number one. I'll still, yeah, well, I'll never forget think... from the. It was a couple. I guess it was the 2017-18 team where we lost that game to Virginia Tech at home, that overtime game, and still advanced to number one in the following poll. Just because uh, other teams lost? I think other teams lost, and, and yeah. I think our earlier game that week was a really good win, I think is the other part of it. But it's just a, an Yeah, anomaly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, by, the, by the time you get to the end of the season, you obviously can't. You can't maintain that rule of like, if I've beaten you, I need to be ranked ahead of you. Like there's, right. there ends up being like so many contradictions to that. That's impossible to maintain. But mm-hmm. early in the season, you can, you can do that if you want, but it's kind of a pointless exercise in my opinion. Like I don't like Jeff Goodman, actually, if you, if you, uh, you know, talk to him privately as I occasionally do. And I see him out at events, like, you know, you know, this stuff and like, he'll tell you who the oh, good yeah. teams are and who he thinks are like, yeah, he definitely knows the stuff. You know, I've listened sleeper to his teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, if he put together a, a poll like just based on his own opinion, like it would be a good poll. Like anybody could put together a poll that's going to rate Virginia Tech ahead of Villanova today. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't take a, an expert to do that. Like, it's just a simple procedural exercise. So, uh, so I guess that's what like kind of disappoints me most about those kind of things is that mm-hmm. I don't really care. Like about somebody's poll, it makes no difference. And I get that there's like an entertainment value there, but like there's some expertise that Jeff Goodman is just like throwing away by creating this poll with very rigid rules that he refuses to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, get away from. You know, I used to think that your, your ranking system did consistently over, over rank Virginia. And I would say I felt that way up through a couple of years ago. And then I had a thought, and I thought that I think that's because the difference between what your poll, what your ranking system measures versus the way people like subjectively think about polls and and, and um, comparative rankings is like when we look at a poll and we, we look at the teams, we think of the, how those teams would do playing each other. Well, you know, Duke's number three and and Virginia's number 15 but I, I think Virginia's a better team than Duke in in that we would beat Duke and so Virginia should be ranked higher than Duke but you know what what your system is measuring is how well these teams would do 
against the average Division One team. Is, is that correct? Well, no, it's meant to be comparative. But the, is that the adjusted efficiency margin? Yeah, I mean the the adjusted efficiency margin. That's just the baseline, right? Like, you know, you have to have a baseline. So I could set the baseline to whatever. The numbers would be slightly different. I could. The adjusted efficiency margin is how many points better you are than the average team, you know, per 100 possessions. So okay, right. Uh, and, but I could change that, right? I could change that to sure. however many points you're better than the number five team, and all the numbers would change, or the order wouldn't change. It'd still be the same order. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing to me is that Virginia, with, with Bennett's system, ha- is a high floor team, and they don't they generally they don't lose as many of those games to lesser teams as like a team like Duke or most of these other top teams do. So while Virginia may not have in, traditionally have the top end talent to really compete with the, the Dukes and the Kansases in, you know, one-on-one big games and look like they belong there, they're less likely than those teams to lose to the average team. And so they're actually better against the average team than they should be compared to those other top teams. And that's how it makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I'm not. I would have to like see a more rigorous defense of that statement. I'm not sure if that's uh, that's because I've looked. You know, I've looked true at, or not. I've looked at Virginia and I'm like, you know, all right, we're we're number two in the Ken Palm ranks, but there's no way in hell we're the second best team in the country. There's just no way. <laughs> so if I guess, we played these three you know, or four well, other teams that are ranked below us, they would. If we played, you know, there's a year. If we played Duke eight times, we were ranked ahead of them. If we played Duke eight times, they would have beaten us like six. They just had better players and and would have played. But you know, they also would turn around and lose to Boston College and Miami and NC State teams that we would beat because there wouldn't be as much variability in our in our performance level. So statistically, in in terms of looking at an overall you know quality and success level, it works. But people subjectively, I think they look at the, the peaks. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily give you any more credit for quality wins. I guess the other thing, too, is that I did change the methodology slightly, you know, four, four or five years ago where you know, it used to be I look at the ratio of points scored to points allowed. So if you won a game 50 to 40, that was like the equivalent of winning a game 100 to 80, whereas mm-hmm. now it just, it just looks at scoring margin. So before, the, the margin was more friendly to, to lower scoring teams, I think. Okay. And – you know, especially like that, you know, I think it was 2015 where Kentucky was just shredding everybody. And like, there was like a two week period in February where like Virginia was ranked ahead of Kentucky. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. Yeah. They're a little overrated there. Uh, yeah. And that wouldn't happen now under the current system, but they okay. still like, they probably would have been second or third in the, you know, under the current system. It's not like it make a, makes a huge difference, but it, mm-hmm. it did, I think, correct a little bit of a flaw where the Virginias and the Wisconsin's of the world, and they had a few dominant games where they held teams to 32 points, like that would like, unnecessarily boost their rating. Oh, sure. Because of the multiplier, the multiplier on the margin of victory. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I think there's some validity to a multiplier, but I I agree. Not much. I I think fundamentally winning a game 42 to 40 is not that much different than winning a game 72 to 70. Like it's coming down to the last possession and right. There's all sorts of things that could happen in the last possession that aren't necessarily in control of one team. So Mm -hmm. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but I think it's closer to what I have right now, which is the pure kind of pure scoring margin approach. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed? Is there more variability in in teams' movement in rankings early in the season compared to late in the season? Uh, I mean, there's. I don't know. I try to. You know, the whole point of the preseason rating and figuring out establishing the weight of that is trying to. Uh, I don't want to say make it equivalent 
there really should be a little more movement early in the season than late in the season because you mm-hmm. have more data late in the season, more reliable data, I guess you could say. Right. But you also you also don't want like massive swings early in the season. Like usually those swings are kind of fool's gold. Like you know, Virginia Tech is a good example of that. Where I mean, I don't know where they'll be ranked in the AP poll if they beat South Florida, but you know they'll probably be in that 15 to 20 range. And I don't think they're like that good at this point. Like they're better than people thought at the beginning of the season, but right. We, our prior knowledge of like, like our expectation of where they should have been right is, now in yours, they're number 25 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, I had them ranked pretty high to start the season, like 35th or something in the preseason okay. rankings. And like, they didn't get a single vote. I don't think in the AP poll. So clearly like I was on Island a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems like, you know, you beat Villanova, like that's a really good win. And like, that seems about where the 35th ranked team should move to. It's basically all we know about them is we think they were 35th before the season and they beat the number four team or whatever it was. They're currently number four, actually, in my system. So it feels like the right approach. And generally, when you look at, like, the predictions and the, the errors in the predictions, and that's kind of how I, you know, test these kind of things out. Like, it seems like the, the weight is Virginia, pretty Virginia well Tech optimized. Was, Virginia Tech was number 32 in your preseason. 32. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. So They're 25 now. I mean, Villanova I didn't really hear of anyone. Didn't hear of anyone thinking about ranking them in the top twenty-five. So right. So kind of on an island there. Yeah, I actually, I try to keep. I download. I, I try to remember to download your data file, like right before each of Virginia's games. I started doing that two years ago, because people like to compare. I know that people like to compare, like where we are this year compared to where we were last year at the same time to see, you know, how's the team doing compared to last year. And there'd be arguments and stuff. And so I started trying to keep that so I could say, well, you know, after four games last year, we were here and here and here on offense and defense and and adjusted efficiency margin. And and now we're we're here. And I like to see how it changes from game to game, you know, to see, like, what was was the impact of of this game? Where were we before that game? So I started doing that. Yeah, and you know what? You actually don't even like. I mean, you're welcome to keep doing it, but you don't even need to do that. There's a there's a link to the the ratings archive on the on the fan match page for for uh, whatever date you're looking at. So you can yeah, you can it's a little. Just... Um, I found that, and it's you have to yeah. There we go. You have to go to fan match and you go to ratings archive, and then you go. I guess you go to fan match and you move around to the right day, and then you go to archive. Where is it? Yeah, but you can just or actually like, you can you just can go click. up to the top the address bar archive.php d equals and put in the day that you want. You can do that, or you can uh, go to your you know team schedule and click on the date, and it'll take you right to the fan match page for that day. And oh, you can okay. Do it that way too. Okay. Yeah. Click on oh the date of your game. Yep. Yeah. So when all right, so Friday, November twenty seventh. I click on that. It's the fan match for that day, and then ratings. All right, cool. We'll see. I didn't know that. You know what else I think would be really cool would be to have for, for the past years be able to look at the um, pre-tourney versus the final and a lot of these other categories. Because I know on the the um, the regular thing, if you go to data, then you can download you can download the final pre-tourney. It'd be cool to be able to look at it. Yeah, I need the, I need the more extensive archive for for the other stats. Yeah, but I t- you know the the rankings thing. It's kind of fun. I really find myself appreciating the team pages and 
the statistics for the individual players on there. I find myself using that all the time. And it's yeah, interesting it's to handy. look at the just the team scattering report, especially when you get to conference only, when that's meaningful. All right, well, Ken, I appreciate you coming back. Congratulations on the Hokies, that huge win over Villanova. Um, I was really hoping both Virginia and Villanova were going to march right on and, and be undefeated when we play them on December 19th. Uh, but, you know, Virginia screwed that up before you guys did. So <laughs> I guess thanks for bringing Villanova down to our level. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate the discussion. And uh, I'll, I'll begrudgingly say good luck. Good luck to you. All right. Thanks, Ken. Have a good night. All right, you too. See you later. Two of three in the call. So it's just just me and Val. I think Val walked away from the computer. Maybe he fell asleep. Do you think Val fell asleep? Oh wait, there's there's sounds. I think So you I can't think... you can't hear me at all. No, I just I'm not muted or I, anything. Now I can. Okay, I have no idea what happened. Um, my Did phone you try to not talk muted. and like get totally ignored sometimes in there? Yes. Yeah, like oh, about six or seven dude, times. I, at, a cer- at a certain point, man, there was nothing from you, so he and I were just talking. Well, I, I know. Maybe... I know. And huh. no, I mean, I heard the whole thing, but I tried to jump in four or five times, and you huh. guys didn't hear me. I don't know how no. I lost it. So. I figured maybe you know you you walked away from the mic for a while because we were talking and and everything and no it would have to be a family emergency to make me walk away from the phone. But I muted you. Yep. Which yeah, I actually no, no, don't no. have the power to do in this. I don't have the power. I don't. At least I don't know. Maybe I do, but I don't know how to mute <laughs> one person on the conversation. I think I well, could keep you out. Percent. I think that I yeah. know how to well, do. Well, he and I are both on the same channel, though, right? So in the recording, you yeah, you couldn't so mute I, me and not him, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I could. But not a problem. all right. So what did okay. what did well, I like? What did I not ask him that I should have asked him? No, I mean I think that was fine. I I guess it it still comes down to the thing I would have wanted to know is like it, it seems like that preseason ranking, which is seems to me to be more subjective lasting so long um i would think you know by five six seven games it should be gone that that just struck me as as weird saying it was Mm -hmm. 21 games before that got completely peeled off i mean i don't care if you if everybody thinks you're supposed to be good you know at at some point you know two three four you know it, it doesn't matter anymore you know, you're, yeah, because you are we all, then, especially then with UNC, new like, players. Like UNC last year. Yeah, but look, look at UNC last year. Then mm-hmm. you, he was saying, you know, we all thought UNC was going to be better than this, and they sucked at the beginning and and sucked all through the season, and yet he's saying that that preseason ranking, you know, still mattered. The other thing is, is that you know, by 21 games, you know, Cole Anthony was hurt. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. If he's gone, it doesn't really matter what your preseason ranking was. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the, the the conversation that I would have I would have raised with him a bit, you know, just in terms of a revelation. But like you said, you know, it's his it's his proprietary, and he's just trying to put some level of data um, 
to, you know, what is still highly subjective. Um, you know, and then what else did he say? He said something about, I can't remember. It was shooting. The shooting matters more now. Mm-hmm. He said there's a higher correlation between shooting and winning. And just listing the correlations doesn't necessarily mean that's the cause of the wins. So I guess I would have said, you know, what's correlation, what's causation? Mm-hmm. You know, we could all sit there and say, okay, there's a high correlation. If, if you just take the number of teams that win the most games and just figure, you know, whichever team has the highest number of wins, then there's a real correlation between wins and, and best teams. But, you know, what's it doesn't seem to fit, but. Those were, I mean, I, I like the direction you took. I think it. the and shooting, I don't, I think shooting has gotten better. Like it's consistently gotten better. Like shooting percentages have, have sure they have yeah. been climbing. And clearly, if if shooting percentages go up, then there, then it is going to have a higher impact because if you're making more shots, then there aren't as many rebounds. So then you know rebounds and off especially offense rebounds are not going to be as big a factor as they were when teams when teams missed more so i right. can so, i, I mean, can see logically that makes sense there well i don't know the data i mean it's is two point shooting still is two point shooting increasing as well um i mean because we've got less you know there's there isn't a center who's going to make you know, who's going to play back to the basket five feet away and make, you know, 52% of his, of his shots, Mm -hmm. which, you know, a good center could back in the day. So while three point shooting is maybe gone from 30 to 37%, is that enough to offset the fact that we don't have centers who are making 52? So there may still be as many offensive rebounds around. Couldn't there be, I mean, opportunities, um, well, I see. I think overall, I like overall shooting percentages are going up. Field goal percentage. Okay. So okay. that just. Raw field Okay. Yeah. So maybe three point goes up, has gone up by five, and two point's gone down by three. Overall, has gone up by two, for example. So that sure. still leaves fewer rebounds. Sure. And with the number of threes, they've certainly. it's We're taking more threes now than twos, right? Even in, no, not in the no, college nobody, game, nobody takes more threes than twos, but like, oh, I don't, I don't even talk about the pros. I don't watch, I don't watch it. I don't study it. I, I, I would have absolutely nothing intelligent to say about it. Um, but just college, you know, in, in college, like, you know, we used to take under 30% of our shots from three point range in the last several years, we've been taking over 30% of our shots from three-point range. The vast majority of teams take somewhere in the 30s. Um, and okay. I, I think the teams – I think Villanova is one of the teams that takes the most of their shots. And I think I think he, he's he got, let's see, three-point – where is it? Three-point attempts to field goal attempts. So, all right, see Villanova, for example, this year – Forty percent of their shots are three-point shots. Okay, so where did 94th. you find that, for instance, on the? Where did you find that on the team stat page? Uh, it's under scouting report. That column on the left. You get out four okay. factors: miscellaneous components, style components, three PA slash FGA. Okay. 
Yeah. So that's saying they're saying that forty percent of their three points. Forty percent of their, of their field their goal attempts are three point shots. Are three points. Okay. Yeah. And now we can go to twenty twenty, which will give you kind of a full season. See there it's forty seven percent, which was number fifteen in the country. Okay. And oh, cool. Here we go. I think yeah, the number one team in the country in twenty twenty was North Florida and fifty two percent of their shots were from three point range. Only so did you what click on the rank? How did you then go from that? Page I clicked on to the North number Florida page. I clicked on 47.3. Yeah, click on that, and it takes you to... There we go. Miscellaneous right, success okay. offense, and 3PA is the second-to-last column. Right, okay. Three-point attempt percentage. So only the top four yeah. took more than half of their shots from three-point range. Right. One of them is so Nellie Bean Rice, what? which is where uh, Trey Murphy came from. Came to us from. Okay. Virginia Tech was the highest North in the Florida, yeah. So the North Florida finished it. 21 and 12. Wow, I didn't realize Clemson took so many threes. They were second in the ACC at three point attempt percentage 46.4. That'd be a Virginia Tech, yeah. We have taken 36% of our shots from three point range. Last year, we took 37%. 2019, when we had the big three, 39.5%. 35, 33, 28, 27, 29. 36 percent of our shots were threes in 2011. Really? Yeah, that's an outlier. I would not have thought after. Uh, yeah, that's an outlier. That given a, that, you know, yeah. five years in a row at 31 or something like that. Yeah, we were usually hmm. under 30 there until, and, and then you can see it start climbing. Mm-hmm. 2016 was the last year it was under 30 percent, 28.4, and then 17 it's at 33. 35. I think by the end of this year, we're going to, we might hit, we might go over 40% this year, which would be the first time ever. Well, so the least. median score, okay, so the median score for three point percentage is roughly 37.7% from last year. That's the median. In uh, Division One. Yeah. Okay. I always like to know what the, you know, what it is right. comparative to everybody sure. else. Well, cool. Okay. Well, I got to run. Good get right. on, on Ken. Thanks. And I'm working on Jordan Sperber now. I want to get okay. him back. I want to get him for the Villanova game. He's the one who said that our we're playing a Division three offense. Okay. Well, that would be. People are going crazy mean, shit over that offense on Twitter. Oh yeah. Well, on and Facebook too. Okay. It's like, so. dudes, it's, we've played two games. You think we've shown everything in the system? <laughs> <laughs> and you know. Don't you give a coach credit for trying something completely brand new? You know, I, I mean, know. it's just, it, it's just, I don't know. Look, if we get I've to got, if we get to January one and we're still not running any fucking ball screens, then I'll say something. I'm firmly convinced we're going to see ball screens in this five out in this five out set. We're going to start seeing them. I think they're going to. Well, I think they're laying in the basic. We got to do now. ball screens. I mean. I mean that's what we talked about a couple of days ago, but it, yeah. it seems to me is I've been reading on the on the five out or the four out, both of them say the first thing is you you know, player number two comes and sets a ball screen for player number one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the very first play. You know, that's the very first option that you come down and do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then because then it. you can do that role. Yeah, I mean, we're not. So and I, I that refuse to believe be that that's not going to be a big part of this set. It, I think we're. I think we'll 
will run continuity ball screen good percentage of the time but out of this new whatever i don't i don't even know what to call it we'll just call it five the five out out of this five out set we're gonna see ball screens in there yeah it's just too obvious and you know one of the things because i was thinking about it getting the defense in rotation it's a term that kind of entered my vocabulary a couple years ago and it's kind of that's what you want to do as an offense your objective in an, any offensive set is to get the defense into rotation because that's how you get open shots. Sure. And there's a couple ways. You can get a team into rotation by dribble penetration. Beating If one, if one guy beats his man, just flat out beats his man off the dribble, that'll get the defense in rotation because somebody has to come over and help and really take over. Because there's help, help defense is one thing. Taking over for somebody who got beat is something different. So if oh, you sure. can... If you can do that, then you get the other team in rotation. The other main way of getting a defense in rotation is with ball screens. Because when you set a ball screen, then some one way or another, somebody has to pick up that defense from the guy who got screened. And so teams, they try to do that. And we weren't doing any of that. We weren't doing any ball screening. And we weren't beating anybody off the dribble. So we were never getting these guys into rotation. And that's why we were got so few, you know, what I would call good shots. You know, the kind of shots that when it's, you know, when a shot goes up where you say, oh, that's going in. And nine times out of ten it goes in. We didn't have any mm-hmm. of those. Everything was like, you know, you think he should have made that because it's a layup because it's within three feet of basket. But honestly... I'm not sure I'm like when I break down the video, I'm not sure I'm going to score any of them as layups because to me it's a layup if there's nobody between you and the and and the basket. That's a layup. And even when we were shooting okay, close, there was somebody between us and the basket. Yeah. So I we call that a jumper. Yeah. Sure. What did I that's I would agree with that. Tony's he's going to do things to get teams in rotation. Got another day to work on it game on Tuesday, so yeah, looking forward to that one. You have to make sure I get off at work on time, you know. Normally I labor, you know. It's like, no, 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 I am leaving. I am walking up. I, I work yeah. seven to three now, so it's like, I am walking out the door at three. <laughs> All right. All right, well, I'll let you happen. go. A lot of this is going to wind up being in the podcast, so. Okay. Wahoo-wah, everybody. Wahoo-wah. Bye-bye.